0: All right. Well, welcome back everyone to an episode of Future Focused where we are continuing to navigate life at the intersection of business, technology, and the human experience. Today we're going to be talking about how we prepare the next generation. So so often we're so focused on ourselves, we don't think about the fact that we, there's people coming after us and I'm keenly aware of this with seven kids. So we're going to talk about what does it look like to prepare those next generations for what work is going to look like in a very different world and to navigate that conversation with me I'm joined by Dr. Phil Hickman who is the founder and CEO of Playbook. So for those who may not be familiar with you do you, what do you, do you can I call you Phil do you like Dr. Phil Dr. Hit? What what's the best way for me to address you throughout this?
1: <laughs> well, you can you can address me however you want to I mean, I I have I've been called Oh, you're
0: leaving it about. open. You're putting it on me. Okay. Cause I'm so casual that I would probably just call you Phil, but I don't want to, if you're like, no, nah, I fine. prefer to... okay, all right, all right. Well then it's gonna be well, Phil. That's, so that's totally fine. for those who <laughs> hey, I ask because I'm Christopher and people always say Chris, and I'm like, Well, that's not really my name, but you know, okay, fine. So for those who don't know you, you, side note
1: in school, my mother used to get mad when people call me Phil. I think she (laughs) did.
0: (laughs) So your mom named you Philip and she didn't like the Phil. So and don't just so you know, I love these sidebars because it just helps me understand everybody's story in this. What made you change what made you decide to go with Phil versus or Phil versus Philip?
1: It's almost like conceding to what just everybody called me Phil.
0: (laughs) Seriously. Really? So it was just like everybody just did so you're like, you know what? I'm not going to fight the battle. Yep. I just gave up. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I am still fighting that battle. I actually went by Chris in my high school years and in early years for the reason you described. I was just like why even try and do it and i was back in the age of crisscross and so i actually tried to change my name to kris because i I thought it was really cool and (laughs) and whatever and apparently you can't just change your name but you know you learn those things but what's funny is then i don't know if it was after college or what it i decided i actually don't like chris i actually really don't like it at all yeah i did not like it and so i started being like well I'm not a jerk, so I'm not going to get really intense with people, but I am going to start saying Christopher. And if people say Chris, I will try and go, "Eh, it's Christopher in a nice way, but I can tell you it's a, it's a hard road. So maybe just stick with Phil. (laughs) So, but anyway, all that to say background for you. Tell me, tell folks a little bit about you and your journey because you did not start as a tech CEO and founder. That was not where you got your start.
1: I didn't. I didn't. I uh I started in education. Um, I have five right. graduate degrees and a doctorate, uh, working on another uh graduate degree Wait, as well.
0: What? You have five graduate degrees right now and you're working on another one?
1: And a doctorate, yeah. And then uh so seven and working on another one uh, right now. Yes. Uh, MBA. I, I didn't I don't have an MBA. So I was working on my I,
0: MBA. Well, we'll talk so backstage that. on this one because I've gone back and forth on this. We won't make the podcast about this. I promise people listening, we will get into <laughs> it. But I will talk backstage because I've gone back and forth on that. I've got a grad degree in education. I've debated doing business. I've debated doing my PhD type of a thing. But we we will not discuss that here. So holy cow, lot, you when you say you're <laughs> an education person, you legit are an education person.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, d- I did everything in the field of education. So, um, you know, start out as a, a sub of assistant teacher, a teacher. Um, I was a school psychologist, counselor, uh, assistant principal, principal at all areas. Uh, wow, all so, you went there.
0: through the diversity of the different roles because I was a middle school teacher for a period of time. And not everybody in the academic system is a, t- there's a lot of different functions. So, you actually yeah. spanned the broad spectrum of academia.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Principal. I was the central office director of education, a director of special education. and I was a superintendent. Uh, I was an area superintendent in Houston. I had 300 schools, 210,000 students, superintendent uh, in Mississippi. and Then I was a national ambassador for the United States Department of Education. So I did all that you know, before I started. And then uh, I did some consulting for Apple and Amazon, worked extensively for Oracle. Uh, yeah, can I pause after,
0: you there? So, <laughs> yeah. That's not usually the trajectory I hear from folks in academia. You were doing all the academic stuff, then you consulted with Apple and Amazon. How did how did you make that shift from academia to consulting with big tech? Uh,
1: well, really, it was um, it started out with some of the products that they had, uh, you know, within okay. school districts. we were looking for someone who uh, was an expert. I taught myself how to code, uh, so I went to I taught myself, and then I went to a boot camp in Kansas City. Um, okay. And then once I learned code and start helping developing products, kind of did some work with them. And and like I said, did some extensive work with Oracle for about three years. And then I realized uh, that one, uh, you know, the knowledge that I had, I, I, um, I had to develop and work with products that they already had, you know, uh, partly developed or developed. Yeah. And I felt like it was a bunch of folks that were outside of education that were developing technologies that they felt was appropriate for they education based on their, where they are. Hey, this yeah, is what, this is what you need,
0: but they didn't have the internal yeah. expertise.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. And, and the thought was there, but to think about implementation and how does that really look in the classroom? Yeah. Just all, you know, all those kind of things uh, I thought was left out. Uh, okay. And so uh, I developed playbook, which is an innovative reading technology that uses artificial intelligence and natural language processing and speech recognition to help children learn how to read. One of the innovative okay. things that I did with that was the, re- the way we teach reading now is we quietly have a child read a paragraph and then answer multiple choice questions. That's okay. And that's how we assess reading, I'm sorry. And and that's yeah. actually only reading comprehension. It has nothing to do with basic reading. The real issue right. is that, that people spend so much energy trying to decode and break down text that they don't have anything left. And so I invented the first technology that allows you not only to hear a person read, um, you know, with regular speech recognition, but mm-hmm. we can hear all the way down to the phonemic f- level. So we can break down the unit of speech. So if you read the word bat, we can hear but or the lack thereof okay. and put an analysis. So you're fundamentally and,
0: deconstructing uh, as they're reading back every oh, yeah. little bit of detail to understand yep. where and there's opportunity. Using, using
1: AI. Oh, yeah. okay. And then using so, AI to to offer personalized recommendations and those kind of things and gamification for the student.
0: Okay. So I want to dig into that. But before I do, it's funny, you talked about how these big tech companies were creating technology for schools and you were going well intended, but you don't understand. You don't understand. And I see that happen on the corporate space a lot. I see these tech vendors that go, here's a problem in an organization. We've solved it. But you can tell that it's like, but you haven't worked in an organization and understand how it operates. And so while in theory, yes, in theory, what you're doing makes cognitive sense in practice, it just doesn't work that way. And it's really interesting how some of those things can have such a huge effect on things. And I see that, honestly, I see it in a lot of different sectors where it's being created by someone who goes, I think this is the problem. And maybe it's a legitimate problem, but there's a lot of other barriers and factors that figure into how do you actually make something work in an organization. That can be a huge barrier to adoption.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the fact that it can be sold as a solution, like you said, it could to upper-level management, right, to principals and superintendents. Um, but when it's laid out in a classroom, it's just yeah. not... You know, it just, it that, that's one of the about. biggest challenges
0: I see everywhere is a lot of times the people making decisions about it aren't the ones who actually use it. And so some of these, a decision maker goes, yeah. wow, wow, that sounds like that would solve a problem for my people. Let's get it. Yep. And they go, why is nobody using this product? And then if you yeah. actually spend time <laughs> with people, they go, oh, well, I could have told you we, that doesn't do anything for me based on how work actually gets done. And the yeah. amount of money wasted on digital transformation for that exact reason is in the billions on an annual basis.
1: I agree. I agree. I, I totally agree. <laughs> okay. Like you said. You so know, that's I, awesome. So people, you took your sub
0: Now, did you have a technical? Did you have a technical bend before you kind of started doing the consulting and getting involved in that? Because to go from, <laughs> I'm in academia. I'd done psychology teaching, substituting. Uh, being a principal, a sensitive principal, to I consulted with big tech, I taught myself to code, I went and built an AI platform. Did you see that trajectory at all? Was there something early on, or was it just kind of as you grew and evolved, you went, no, actually, I'm figuring this out as I go?
1: Yeah, I I had dreams early on. So Okay, you did. um, Meaning, uh, my brother and sister had to go to summer school. And they were in high school. She's three years older. My brother's two years older. And I and so okay. I was in middle school. Of course, during the summer, I couldn't be left alone, so I had to go to summer school, high school summer school with them. And at so the you time, had to the, suffer the
0: only... <laughs> alongside with them, right?
1: Right. <laughs> and the only enrichment program that they had was uh, a technology class where we and it was to show you my age. It was it was uh, DOS. It was the blue screen oh, yeah. and all those kind of things.
0: oh yeah C prompt we yep. yeah we C colon oh yeah <laughs>
1: Oh, man. And But I fell in love with technology. I fell in love with okay. it. And then, of course, went to high school and it was like we learned typing with the typewriter until my senior year. And that's when we started to get introduced to technology. And it was just I wasn't a digital native in that sense, didn't have all the resources, okay. uh, you know. And so I, I kind of just dabbled in it and always, but but not something that I majored in or, or until boot camps came along. One of the things that yeah. I did, the reason why I learned about boot camps is because I didn't want the same thing that happened to me, um, happen to other students. So I started a couple of nonprofits, uh, coding academies for children. Uh, okay. and so I started, some, yeah, nonprofit coding academies, uh, Mississippi coding academy and we code KC. And then once I did that, then I started getting introduced to adult, uh, boot camps. Okay. And that's okay. why I joined Now it. on yeah.
0: that one, on the accessibility piece because again, for people who, especially if you're digital native, if you're younger, technology is so prevalent now, it's hard to imagine this, but I mean, I remember back in the early days of technology, access was a very limiting factor for a lot of people. I mean, the idea that everybody had a computer in their home, I mean, I remember in my high school that it was, it was, you were an exception if you had, it was just starting to become a little more mainstream, but even then, it w- your financial access played a big role in that because even the oh, yeah. home desktop computer was $2,700 for like a gateway desktop type of thing, which that's not easily gateway. accessible. That's not something that everybody just was like, yeah, back in the 90s, let's drop three grand on a computer that barely even had internet access. And people were going, what's the internet type of a thing?
1: Yeah, I, I tell you, we uh, are. <laughs> so- the, the other cheat sheet that I had, had is I had all the computers actually at home. Commodore 64. I had all the, but they didn't necessarily work. <laughs> and no, there was not internet back then. It was, you know, you had a floppy yeah. disk and or a hard disk. My dad worked for UPS and he will service real wealthy God. neighborhoods. And they will utilize, at that point in time, their technology until you cannot anymore. And they will buy a new one and we will, and my dad will buy the scraps. And so, you know, ah. even even a floppy disk. And so so not that we knew what to do with it. Of course, we were playing games on it, you know, those kind of things. But again, my, my love was just continually yeah. played with and cycled through with technology without having any formal training. And, and like you just said, in a sense, with access, but also there was a mental access, like um, we didn't know anyone who who was majoring in computers or, or understood computers or those kind of things. No. So it was, more, yeah, it was more of a dream in a sense. And that those genius yeah. people who are geniuses, you know, uh, computers are not, not, Oh me. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I grew
0: up in a town of like 800 in the sticks of Minnesota. Yep. And the only reason I had access to a computer was cause my uncle worked in a big tech company and he'd send me like his old ones. And I'm like, ah, oh, yep. cool. And you, you figured them out, but if you needed help, There was no Google that you could look things up, and where I lived, there was nobody who even lived in the area that did things with computers. So you were on your own. You really were. You're right. It's a different time. So then, what? Let's talk a little bit about the education piece and why that piece is so important. Because obviously, you've taken this awesome kind of spectrum that you've been on and said, you know what, I want to commit my resources and time and energy to using artificial intelligence around reading, which is an interesting take given what we just talked about, about technology. But I think I see the connection between the two, but I'm really curious what made you go, this is really where I want to lean in on this.
1: Yeah. um, Well, you know what, The, the aspect of working in school systems and then at a macro level, with the federal government um it's just the data that I saw nationwide I, to me it it was a level of national security that we have to figure out something 76% of fourth graders in the entire United States read below grade level regardless of really? social economical status race gender yeah uh and the pandemic made it worse
0: that's 3 that out of 4 kids
1: 2019's data uh and then of course you know basically what I tell everybody is the future is now and we are already late and so what I mean by that is our school systems are not necessarily preparing kids for their future but for our past yeah. uh, and, and so you know one of the most eye opening thing to me was the, that the way the global ecosystem is going to evolve um you know we we already have now what, what people are not really paying attention to is Let's look at even the job market. Um, Before, we just had to compete with our local neighbors for a job or, you know. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's a global ecosystem. And so, you're not competing against your local neighbor. You're not competing against the next state over. You're competing against the world for a position. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because if you look at um, most people were stuck in blue-collar automation, but white-collar automation is happening so fast. Uh, And and so, you know. You know, and and then you start looking at um, white collar automation, meaning that, you know, lawyers, uh, AI and those kind of things can can uh, find information faster than if you had another. I was just going to say
0: on this topic, I'm talking with a company and there's a couple of them that now going back to this, who you're competing against. I'm talking with a company and I've gotten to know a founder of a company that is (laughs) you can hire AI people. You can hire AI employees and you put in the criteria of exactly I need them to have this skill level and all this stuff. And for a fraction of the cost, you can hire an AI employee. So going back to your point of your competition and who you're competing against went from micro kind of relatively small fishbowl to the universe almost in the blink of an eye.
1: Yeah. And there's a dichotomy of that, too, because you're dealing with the humans universally and now technology as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you're no longer, it's no longer to be okay to be the top of your school and your school's <laughs> curriculum are, are, you know, access is not as high as the next school, right? It's, I mean, yep. that's, that's no longer okay. And so how do we prepare, you know, um, children for the future? And they even yeah. said that in 2030, in, in 2000, between 2030, and 2040, 85% of the jobs that will exist have not been invented yet. They have not even been created, but they will have that's some not aspect that far of,
0: off either, if you think about it. Not that you, far off, right? It, it, they six will have years.
1: <laughs> yeah, technology and reading proficiency. Uh and, and one yep. of the things that happened, the, the reason why that push is is to, is to so wait. Fast before now. you go
0: on, to drill back, to peel back what you said, is even those 85%, okay. if I'm understanding you correct, the 85% that haven't been created but that will be here in 2023. One of the underlying consistencies that I'm, if I'm understanding, is that reading proficiency. It's one of those, like, yep. even though it's a new job that doesn't exist, it'll be completely different. The constant will be, yes, but you will still need to be able to read and understand well to do that job, whatever it is. Is that accurate?
1: The reason this is because this, you're very accurate. The okay. skill that we appreciate in education right now is memorization of regurgitating facts. That, yes. that student is your top student. That little yep. black box in your hand is going to have all the information in the world. So now it's how do I critically read through this and critically apply it? It's, it's how do I look at what's <laughs> false information, what's true information, what's important, what's not. And, and the, the reason why that's important it's gonna it's going to happen at, a, at such a constant is because even the form of intelligence that is appreciated is the ability to learn, unlearn and relearn. Because the shelf life of technology is so fast. Your job is never going to be the same at one given point in time. It's going to constantly switch. You know, and and people right now are uncomfortable with pivoting and switching and being flexible. But that's a skill that's going to be important for the future.
0: Oh, huge. And I mean, I see this, my, my regular job is the chief learning officer for a big healthcare company. And so career development and internal mobility is where i spend all my time and when i look at the half-life of skills and how quickly jobs change and somebody who's hired into this job six nine months later you go "Mm, that's not even really what they do anymore but to your point your ability to unlearn relearn critically apply is paramount and is only going to get bigger in the next six years
1: yeah, we we were we're kind of in a, a, a mobile revolution with the mobile phone, but now we're we're we quickly moved to that that AI. And this yes. is the first time that it has lasted in such a short time. Meaning chat GPT one came out in January. By March, they were at, at three, three point
0: five. We're <laughs> like four plus you know, now or May whatever.
1: they were at four. Yeah, and and they tried to that's why everybody panicked to try to scale it back, but it's it's so fast now. It's no longer, you know, the mm-hmm. the um, you know, long, no longer like uh the the um what, what um, you know, what I mean, it was the the industry before um uh, industrial revolution. It's oh no yeah, longer, the industrial know, the, revolution period of it, time.
0: Yeah. It, it, took a it took a long time, time for and, Yep. Yeah, the industrial complex we to get set up, com. the assembly line, all this stuff. People had time to adapt yeah. and change and grow. Yeah. And now with oh, AI, yeah. it's like you took that whole thing and went and squished it into squished a fraction.
1: It. Yeah. It never, never in the world has it, has it happened so fast with the negative components that we're not prepared. We have the lowest nope. high school graduation rate than ever before. We have the lowest okay. amount of people entering college ever before entering college they're not even prepared to enter enter college well
0: and you said before one of the stats you quoted before was more than three and four kids isn't even reading at grade level which what we said before was reading comprehension and the ability because you can't apply something if you can't understand it
1: And understand it right
0: so you fundamentally are hamstrung if you cannot understand it and so if three and four are lacking in that area, that fundamentally sets you back big time to be able to thrive in an environment where things are changing all the time and before you even have time to know what is up from down, the scales have flipped.
1: Yeah, and we're talking comprehension at the highest level, because AI can spit out facts and summarize things for you kind of guide you in a way, right? So we're talking comprehension at a higher level and and then also creativity, you know, uh, communication and collaboration. Uh, We're no longer a society where you have the smartest person and they're developing something, working hard on something. Um, That person without social skills is useless. And and, and Apple, I remember um, even when they were, you know, rolling out the iPad, I mean, they had a whole team that just worked on the button. Yep. The front, but not not even a size, you know? And so they had so many different teams. And then eventually, those, not only those teams were collaborating amongst themselves, but then they had to collaborate amongst each other to have the final yeah. product. So yeah. and, and it's like, yeah. And so it, if you don't have that Well, it's that interesting.
0: Skill, I talked to, um, I have a guest coming on. We did the pre-screen today. And he specifically focuses on helping- PE and VC companies assess technology companies for purchase and acquisition and all this stuff. And his role is he specializes in assessing the value of the people. And he was sharing, and I'm gonna do an episode where we just talk about this, that what you just said right there about, you can be the smartest, most technical person on the planet, that actually doesn't hold a lot of value at all. It's your ability to problem solve and interact and collaborate and work together with these other people. And like we've said, deconstruct and reconstruct your learning super fast. And so that's completely disrupted the tech sector where people thought, oh, I'm an ace at Python. You know, yeah. I'm untouchable. <laughs> and all of a sudden GPT-4 goes, I can outcode you in a heartbeat type of a thing.
1: Yeah, and so how do you use AI and technology as a tool? Just the yeah. same way to use the calculator. Like you, you said, they, you know, AI can actually help you find errors in your code and, and they help right. you have a diversity of code. And so, yeah, I, I tell people all the time, now I do believe technology, like I told my teachers, technology not will not replace teachers, but those who use it will replace those who don't. I mean, yep. you just you, you just have to you have to be comfortable with technology. You have to understand how to use it. It's you know, it's it's not something to be afraid of um no but there's aspects of automation that those jobs will no longer be there yes. and and i think we talked before like we're we're very uh we're not that far away from automated cars no so even when we talk about you know truck uh truck drivers make pretty good money is a good living and i almost think i forgot what the numbers were but it was like of the economy, the truck drivers was almost up there in the 50 and 60 percent of, of the economy in a sense, and they will be replaced. Uh, you know, once you have automated cars, again, we're close to that. Then, of course, you're going to have that uh, automated trucks, automated uh, unloading of the trucks. Um, I, I, I talked about before that there was a I, and I still f- forgot the person name, but I think it's called Patty. It's a it's a it's a robot that actually flips burgers, and it only costs thirty thousand uh, dollars. And so now restaurants are are buying this. But this is some this is Patty doesn't get sick, doesn't have workplace right. cop,
0: doesn't call in sick, doesn't show up late. Yeah, <laughs> I mean consistent, like you know, doesn't not, get distracted on its killing. phone, doesn't have to be taught how to assemble, you know, all this other stuff.
1: Right. And it's only $30,000, which is a price of a person's salary. Right. That's, right. that's you know, and so, or, or if, you know, if you say, okay, that's blue collar. Well, if you look at a doctor, like a, a surgeon now utilizes robotics to do surgery. Yep. Like they have, they have technology that uses AI that can detect and recommend a treatment for breast cancer, which yep. breast cancer, if you get it more than once, it's, It's it's not, you know, not a good situation. No, Uh, I was with GE, I was with
0: GE healthcare and we, I was involved with a lot of the AI diagnostic stuff and it was fundamentally disrupting healthcare because so many doctors and going back to kind of the constant theme in this. And then I want to transition to how this is, you know, what do we do, especially, and why you care so much about um, what you're doing with playbook. But what it was, was I was seeing so much fear in the physicians who had committed their whole lives to getting really good at detecting things in scans. And all of a sudden a machine could more accurately and much more rapidly come up with the same diagnosis and helping them see that it's not that what you bring to the table isn't valuable anymore, but where you've placed all your chips in the past, you just need to move them. Like your job is no longer going to be staring at the scan for countless hours, your job is going to be looking at what the AI detects and then determining, you know, how, how do I now work with this patient through this and thinking through more of the interpersonal and the problem solving side of things. And it was a huge change for physicians who how went, oh, AI is never going to, I've been doing this for 30 years. And I'm like, AI has been trained on every scan on the planet <laughs> ever. Exactly. It's going to beat you it's going to beat you yeah. yep.
1: so how do you communicate yeah. that right the
0: findings right how do you
1: communicate the findings how do you you know how do you look? and so it doesn't eliminate you but it does eliminate a lot of you mm-hmm. in a sense <laughs> yeah. and now you're one person managing you know a lot of this information um even even in my uh, mba course uh one of my classes i i, I have a cohort um and one of them, she's a medical doctor and we were all on a Zoom call, and I mean, this is really irrelevant, but we were all on a Zoom call, and one of the one of our teammates were sick, and and the doctor leaned in and was like, you know, are you okay? But I I felt like, I mean, it was so comforting. I felt like she was talking to me. I wanted to respond, and then I, you know I teased her, and she said, yeah, we do virtual calls. We have to work on how do we become relatable. Virtually. Yes. And I was, man, it, it I felt like you was right here with me, the way you leaned yep. in and, you know, the tonation, you looked into the camera and, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, man. It's um, And that's it, the part that's technology.
0: just a huge shift that I know I spend a lot of time trying to educate both employees on, but also business leaders on, because it is important for people to understand, Hey, your work is going to change. And what you even just described right there, your ability to now connect with other people becomes the differentiator. You know, as a physician, before you were busy looking at scans and and filling out charts and doing all this other stuff, and you never had time for the patient. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, no, now AI is gonna be doing a lot of this for you. To really stand out above the rest, it's about how well do you now connect with that patient? How well do you make them feel safe with what they're going right. through? How well do you do? All, and those are skills that, you know, as long as we're still dealing with people, which uh, isn't going away, that's really what's going to be. That's really what's going to be paramount.
1: Yep. Same I, thing as a teacher. I mean, about facilitating. Yeah. now you're able to work on the soft skills and, and those kind of things within the classroom because you'll have automatic grading, recommendation, personalization, like all those things that you'll have, and it's, it's how do you facilitate that? And then, you know, one of the things that I it just hasn't happened yet that that will happen, and, and I think will be a game changer, is really when you have kind of mixed reality or or yeah. a, a real uh AR or augmented reality on steroids, in a sense, um, to where you can bring to life in your environment and learn, and it seems feels tactile, it's, yes, it seems like you're more of, of the senses uh, and to involve in learning instead of a you know, one-dimensional uh, type of uh, situation. I think that's going to be a game changer. And then also to be able, because we have a national teacher shortage and it's ugly. I mean, I mean, really a it's national really teacher bad. shortage. It's we're really just bad. People, we're just checking pauses and allowing people to be in classrooms. I work with one school district that in, in eight years, they had 0% of kids meet state standards, zero percent. But 0%. but they're in an area where they have a large teacher shortage, uh, and they have few certified teachers, few certified principals, um, and those kind of things. But the my point is that you're able to utilize technology uh, in a sense to to match a student up with the best teacher yeah. and their strength and weaknesses of that student um you know from anywhere in yeah. a sense. Uh, and that and using augmented reality and, and virtual reality or mixed reality um to where you can bring that person there um and and, and set that person in the classroom and those kind of things. So I think that's going to be yeah. a game changer. Uh, and it has it to will. happen there there's no other way around. I mean we have you know our universities, our colleges of education are being shut down in, in certain universities because they don't have students, enough students to fill it. The enrollment is is down so much. And so uh, if we just sit back and we we wait and, and don't develop a solution or let someone else develop a solution. What I mean by that is like um, PowerPoint. PowerPoint is heavily used in schools, but it was developed for businesses. You know, yeah. Zoom, is, it was heavily used in the pandemic and it was heavily used wrong. I, well, I know. Zoom,
0: so I did- Zoom was not <laughs> developed for education. <laughs> you, know, you know full well, but I reached out because I came from the K-12 space. And I remember when the pandemic hit, what a mess it was for my- K-12 friends who suddenly went, wait, I'm being asked to use all these different tools I've never used. I'm being asked to engage with students in a way I've never done before. And there's no handbook for this whatsoever. I've just been told teach in Zoom now. And again, like you said, it was a tool built for corporate productivity and collaboration. And yeah, of course you can use it for different things, but there's a whole skill bend, even going back to your example of the physician. Who leaned in and even knew how to interact on a different level? It's a skill set. So, yeah, there's well, a but, lot of
1: cool, cool though. How do you teach reading Zoom and, and, and a young kindergartner? Explain that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do you right. do that with a class full of kindergartners on a Zoom? It's it with all the differentiation that happens within there. Um, yeah, we, we heard a lot of stuff. Well, and going back process. to what
0: you described, because this kind of gets into where you're leaning in. And I'm I'm really curious how this comes into play with this, because I think we've set the table nicely for how all of these changes. <laughs> if you draw the line back to like the kids, everything we just described of how work's changing, of all the stuff that's happening here, you go back a generation or two and go, okay, now you're dealing with kids who aren't reading at level, they are in many cases, not even meeting state standards. Now, how do we prepare them for that? We've hit on a lot of this stuff, but to your point on the reading thing, it was difficult enough to do it the old way where it was like, oh, I'm going to read something to you or you read it out loud. And then I'm going to test your comprehension. I'm going to give you a multiple choice. It still was a night. It'd still be a nightmare to try and do that via Zoom in an effective way. But then yeah. to be able to do it like you're describing, where you're actually understanding the phonetic breakdown and do you actually comprehend and can you apply what you're reading, doing that right. over Zoom by itself, especially using analog traditional methods, would be an atrocious user experience for a student.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But to if, if my product was, was back then in, in that era... <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, it would have been better because the students can, every time that they are reading independent reading, it gives you that analysis. It gives them recommendations and activities to do that hits the foundational skills. Uh, A lot of times the problem with reading is that children kind of look like the Swiss cheese effect. They have holes in their foundation. And once you plug in those holes, then now you can you know now they can read and it's just a matter of reading a lot that that, that increases the fluency, um and, you know and then comprehension is there and then you can work on comprehension, um and, and my tool isolates it to where every when everyone says oh it's a reading it's a reading problem and again they're just looking at multiple choice questions comprehension one we can isolate it no it's truly a basic reading problem or it is there are areas of comprehension uh that needs to be improved and for seeing you know um. Having background knowledge, understanding, the main idea, you know, uh, all those kind of things that you want to address later. But we jumped the gun with that um, when we're dealing with um, teaching students how to read.
0: So how did you I'm really curious how you did this, because I think one of the things that's fascinating about what you just described, you may not have even noticed you did this because you just glossed over it. But. I am continually fascinated by how complex some of the things we just so take for granted. So, like reading, like you just described, for someone who reads at an adult level, you know, at a, at a reasonable level, we take for granted how much actually goes into all of that and how complex it is of how we're taking all these other things. We're actually breaking the words down, we're processing it, we're doing all these different things. And again, having seven kids who, Many are just in that stage where they're learning to read and seeing how transformative it, it is when they go from, I can't read, to I can read, their whole world just opens up. But it doesn't happen because you just go, here's the sounds, now put it together. There's so much more going on than just, oh, here's phonetic sounds, jam them together, now they're words, ta-da, you get it. It's It's complex.
1: Do you know why? Because reading is actually not a natural skill. That is something that's newer in our evolution. So you you actually have to rewire the brain to learn how to read. The brain is not born designed to read. Most people think, you know, you're born to make sounds. You start cooling and on, then you start talking and and then you walk uh, and then you read. Uh, But that that's not the case. Um, and, so it's not just there this are... natural
0: just next step like we often assume. Oh, well, you know, you made noise, you kind of babble, you crawled, you walked, and then just naturally you read. It's not that right, way.
1: Right. It, it's not. You have to rewire the brain. Um, it's, it's almost like teaching rocket science. It, it is complex. Um, and there are some students who will get it. But it's just the same thing as uh learning how to play the piano. I mean, you have savants. That no matter what, I mean, they just they just learn how to do it. Right. right? But majority, majority of the population, they had to have lessons to learn how to play the piano. It's, and it's it took a lot of
0: time and effort. Way. It's not like they got one lesson on and effort. just went, ta-da, Practice. now I'm playing Mozart type of a thing.
1: Right. Right. And so it's the same thing with reading. It's not a natural process. You have to rewrite the brain. Uh, you know, look at visualization and sound, associating that with work. Like, and meaning, all those kind of things um, have are not, their are parallel uh, and they actually don't intersect until um, they're taught to. Uh, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the main problems is that, um, and, and then the way that we used to teach reading is whole language learning, where we have, you memorize a word, look at picture cues, none of that, uh, there's only five ways to teach reading. And if you, and, and the problem was we, we kind of wiped out a whole generation doing that. In words, um, pretty soon you're going to come to words that you have to break down uh, phon- phonetically, um, and that you you know you didn't have, especially with this generation that don't have the background knowledge. Um, and, and so, and you look at the advent of of poverty, um, and so a child in, in poverty is exposed to three hundred thousand words by the age of three, but a child in a middle class to a professional household is exposed to three million words by the age of three,
0: and wow, so that is even a if massive difference,
1: at, yeah, oh yeah. So even if you look at the background knowledge, you know all those kind of things, and and that's why everybody's kind of afraid about the have and have nots. Uh, one is skill, two is you know availability to capital because all the automation jobs there's not going to be a middle, a middle class in a sense because all those automation jobs right now that's supporting e- even a like i said a truck driver um that's supporting um you know the workforce right now will be taking over anything that you can do automatically is you know it's going to be taken over by technology in that sense uh and so you know if we don't reskill, um, uh, if, if we don't teach different uh provide students with different opportunities to to really utilize technology in the right way um you know, um, even technology right now, like I said, there's four Cs: critical thinking, creativity, communication, collaboration. Um, it, those are the skills that that need to be direct taught. What the other issue is that they're saying that uh, one class that's going to be a harder hit is your upper middle class um, yeah. schools because they feel like they're doing it right. They are, in in, in today's standards, but By and so today's standards. Yeah, they're winning right now where everyone else is trying to figure out, you know, because they're so far down, they feel the the, the pinch and, and they're in crisis mode and they're looking at different ways to utilize technology. Um, Which and, is know, interesting because
0: use- this is actually creating opportunity for people to leapfrog. And I've actually seen this yeah. multiple times where that that class of people you're talking about that's feels safe and is like, yeah, I kind of don't that complacency that's kicking in and being like, I'm, I'm untouchable is actually creating opportunity for people to leapfrog over it because technology is enabling it. And it's just like what you see in big corporations who thought, Oh, I'm GE or I'm Ford or shit. Like I can't be touched. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, someone comes up and just completely supersedes them and they didn't even see it coming.
1: Kodak, Sears. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> All those companies yeah, Kodak that right? was
0: like, people will always be taking pictures. Well, yeah, that's true, but not the way you think.
1: Well, actually, Kodak, Kodak came up with the first digital camera.
0: Oh, well, I do I do remember that, and they did they yeah, kind of like bit, didn't they right? just kind of like toss the idea so out? Like out.
1: they made so much money off film, developing film, that they didn't want to leave their core product.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, same thing. Block, blockbuster, right? Like they had the yep. opportunity to blockbuster, buy. Blockbuster, same
0: thing. People will always come <laughs> to the rental stores because they love it. No, they didn't. Yeah. They hated it. Yeah,
1: and so if you don't, <laughs> yeah, so if you get comfortable because you're winning right now, and you you, you don't look ahead, then yeah, you, you cause you cause a problem. When the rate of change happens faster outside of an organization than it does inside of an organization, the end is near. And so the rate of change of the world is, is faster than what's going on in education. And so those who are not filling that, that pinch. So uh, uh, for instance, uh, the utilization of technology um, in, in more affluent or, or middle, upper middle-class uh, school systems, again, they're preparing kids for AC, SAT, SAT. I mean, that's, you know, multiple choice, you know, kind of it's complex reading. Yep. It's not easy. It's not what I'm saying, but and uh, I know
0: what you're getting at. In lower,
1: <laughs> yeah, in lower middle class schools, they're looking at okay, problem based learning. Like, okay, how do we have problem based learning? How do we utilize technology instead of point and click and gaming? How do we utilize yep. it to create? Right to to, yeah. to you know tools to advance to, to, to communicate, like all those kind of things. Those skills, like you said, are, are actually going to leapfrog and lead, yep. and and, the, and everybody else is going to be that blockbuster or that Kodak or that have access to the same information but are just sold on their core product. Cause they're winning.
0: Yeah. Well, and I see this, um, happen a lot, especially when it comes to, you know, corporate learning, learning and development as a whole where, and I get it. I think what's interesting about kids versus adults is one of the biggest challenges I run into with adults is often they've built so much of their identity into what they did. You know, they're, identity has almost become intertwined with the work activity that they do. And so when suddenly the thought of, well, you're not gonna have to do that anymore, it almost feels so threatening to them, which I'm curious, this is my follow-up question to you, but it almost feels like a part of them is dying, To which is, it's a fascinating psychological phenomenon to watch where you go, you think because you're not going to have to create PowerPoints anymore, you're no longer but they've so intertwined their being with creating these PowerPoints, they can't. So I'm actually curious with this, as I think about the challenge you have in the academic system, not only do you have the students who you have to change and adapt for, and I think the technology can be a great enabler of this, but going back to in theory versus in practice, you now are dealing with teachers who, maybe running the risk of going through the same identity crisis I see on the corporate front where they go, wait, I don't want to adopt this technology because I built my identity on being what I've defined as a teacher and this technology fundamentally changes what that looks like. I have to imagine there's some resistance there.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know, it's resistance. It's almost like, uh, (laughs) I used to be a professor and you, you had those professors that had notes and the way they taught their class 30 years ago. Yeah. And are still teaching their class and using the same, because it's uncomfortable to, to change. Change. Yeah. And, and, and at least in that point, people are, you know, you have adults, learners in a sense, who are more patient. So imagine that in the classroom where you have a teacher that is just a talking head, literally, literally you know, and, and and um the unfortunate part of it is back in the days where uh if you were watching TV, uh you had to sit through that that commercials and everything. You, you, had, you had to. to like, three, yeah, there eight, was eight, no eight, way eight, around 12, it was now. funny.
0: I was watching a There's show no with my kids around. the other day. Dude Perfect came out with an app. And I don't know if you know anything about this, but it's it's a show we like to watch on YouTube. They do trick shots and all these funny things, and they came out with an app which sounded great. But when you download the app we have youtube premium so you don't have to watch ads we watch it on the app and it's ads and my kids were just like what is this why can't you fast forward it daddy and i'm like i i can't this is what a commercial and it was such a foreign concept to them
1: yeah oh yeah i get so frustrated with the espn app i love it um you know it gives you snapshots but after every 30 second 40 second clip it's a video and it's like come on guys i love you guys yeah. i want to see the next, next clip you know and i'm yeah. like you said and I, i'm an adult. so imagine kids who they're bored they can change the channel they can yeah. fast forward the stream or they can pay
0: you know i call it they are so ingrained they are so ingrained with this i want it my way i don't yeah. want to have to deal yeah. with this and you running into a generation of teachers who are gone Hey, this is how I teach the class. I've been doing it since the, you know, whatever. Right. And I'm Bueller? not really interested. Bueller. Yeah, Bueller. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Bueller?
1: Bueller. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like the clear eye guy. Like they're they're bored and they can't change that teacher. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so you have to figure out ways to engage kids and then personalize it. Um, you know, it's just like even even let's go with reading. Who says, like, let's say a school is a 45-minute block of reading. You have 45-minute block of math or whatever. But who yep. determined that 45 minutes is what someone needed to learn how to read? What What if I need 46 minutes and I, to have that aha moment and you right. close the book? What if I needed 10 minutes? I got to right. be bored the rest of the time and sit there with people,
0: <laughs> you, you know? I... Like, I know exactly what you're talking about because I was that kid that wanted to hit skip, you know, or be like, <laughs> I got it type of a thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, but we got to fill the rest of the time. And I bring that into the corporate lens where it's like, well, we've got this leadership course and it's eight hours long. And it's like, why is it eight yeah. hours long? Who's who said eight yeah. hours? But yeah, you've got a generation that's grown up on this hyper personalization because everything yeah. has moved that way.
1: Yeah. And we just check, we just start checking boxes. Like even the example of the corporate corporate training where you have to do those modules. I mean, you, you, you really can look online and get the answers to a lot of them.
0: Um, you can ask uh, chat you know, GPT and probably get,
1: it you to... get the answer two seconds. It. So you just, <laughs> yeah. You're just kind of walking away as the video is playing, clicking through, you know, everything yep. that you're supposed to learn. And then you, you take an assessment, you know, at the yeah. end to advance. I mean, i Been through many of them, but yeah, I mean, those answers are online, even before chat GPT, their answers. answers Well, yeah, you could have just Googled it.
0: But what's interesting about this, and this gets back to kind of what you're talking about, even with what you're doing with the reading app, but even the shift in education and the way we do it. One of the problems I always, I've always had, and it's actually why I left academia, because some of the things we're talking about, while the awareness of it and the focus on it is new. I wouldn't say like, it was great and wonderful back in the old days, but now it's just not. It just was more like, well, what else were you going to do type of a thing. And now, because people have options, because what you're getting at, and one of the frustrations I always had was, the traditional model of education says, to your point, what goes way back to our beginning, read this thing, answer these questions. That doesn't really tell you anything about someone's ability to critically process, think about it, apply it, do anything with it. It's just a matter of, can you wrote, recall, whatever was just said to you type of a thing. And we're now yeah. moving to this age of, I'm actually doing my live stream tomorrow that I'm doing on this. I'm talking about the age we're moving into the age of action learning. we learning is going yep. to be all about action and what you can do and how can you apply and how is that measured? And that's changing a lot because it's no longer about well how much do you know well we don't really care how much you know because ai knows more than any human will ever know what we care about is do you know what to do with that information that's really what we care about
1: well we knew a long time ago that there was a gap between those multiple choice tests and how come i never do this in my real job like when when you when i grow up you mean I'm, i'm gonna be taking tests every day or no no, it's it's totally different, and yeah. so it was just, it's, yeah. And, and so we we have to change, man. We we and it's a sense of urgency, and a lot of people are not feeling it right now. Like I said, because they're being successful in in the system that we have are the illusion of success, uh, because yes. the numbers are there with the graduation. The, I mean, we have we have high schools that are considered dropout factories, like they only graduate thirty percent of their students 30 percent that's that's not even a success rate like that's you can't even get happy about that but that's the norm and it's a large population of our in our school systems and so yeah I i mean we we have to figure out how to engage students how to deliver information and knowledge um like you said whether it's performance based or you call it action based, or you know because the, the other thing that's different is that that again, these kids are digital native. So you can go to a restaurant, yes, and you can see a one-year-old, you can see a baby in a crib and they have a phone or, or a tablet with a little foam, you know, around it.
0: My 10 month old sits, at, I she it drives me nuts sometimes when she sits on my lap because she flicks through my Apple Watch. And I'm like, what are you doing? They're born, like they're born you to do this. Yeah, they just like no, right? I'm like, you're not even a year old, and you know to yeah. scroll through my watch. It's it's bizarre, but yeah. yeah, it's so entrenched in the fabric of their existence.
1: Yeah, so they're they're different different learning style, uh, you know. Like you said before, you know, we had different motivation and we had a different way to receive information. And now, because the information is so vibrant uh, to to children, starting them off. on on digital aspects like that. And then we want a child to come to school, sit at a desk and do a worksheet. You're okay. Uh, Or (laughs) or someone just talking to death. You know, (laughs) good luck with that, right? Or or someone is just sitting there talking you to death and they already have the habit. We as adults have this same habit of looking at their phones, looking at their phones. And and, and, and then once they, you know, go through it and they're seeing clips and they're seeing, you know, it's just all these things, um that 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 children are getting exposed to and we're not we're not giving it to them. Uh, and so yeah, it's it that's why we're not reaching them. That's why we have a large percent of students who are being unsuccessful within our school system. Our gifted kids are also our newer at risk population, by the way. They're dropping out faster than anybody. They're born really? Well,
0: you know, and it, in some ways that doesn't surprise me because I think it's one of those testaments to the new generation and I'm seeing this. I talked to a lot of Gen Zers and now whatever, I think the next generation is generation alpha. I think they've moved to like Greek. I think it's generation alpha, um, <laughs> but the tolerance for, well, this is just how it has to be is going down. So I, it actually, in some ways doesn't surprise me that even some of the gifted kids are going, "This is stupid I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna participate in this institution that's broken and doesn't seem interested in changing, and I'd rather just go my own way type of a thing,
1: yeah, I mean the the other aspect of it is a gift that everybody has access to that information that the teacher' is delivering, and if you're a higher level learner. You can you can do that on your own.
0: Yeah, you'll go do it yourself. You, probably, you don't need to go to school. You probably to already
1: had. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, you, you want to be challenged. You wanna you wanna you know be challenged like the next kid, but that that opportunity is not afforded to you.
0: Well, coming into the home stretch of this though, because I think we've hit on <laughs> this has been such a fun conversation. I really appreciate you making the time. I think one of the encouraging things, because somebody could easily listen to this. And so if you've tuned in this long, (laughs) hopefully we haven't scared you off and going like, oh my word, this just sounds like horrific. Because one of the constant themes that encourages me through this, though, is despite all the chaos, despite all that's changing, despite all that may seem frightening and terrifying, there are constant threads that flow throughout it. And... I think one of the things that we're realizing more and more is those constant threads are what really matter. And we've often been distracted with this other stuff. And we thought these were really the things that mattered. And suddenly we're going, hey, these things actually don't matter at all, which can give that impression of, oh, no, everything's going away. And it's like, no, underneath that was a constant thread that actually wove those three things together that you maybe didn't even pay attention to. know the things we talked about reading comprehend understanding how to read understanding and knowing how to communicate and connect and collaborate with people how to problem solve and those that's a consistent thread that yes maybe the way you used to do it looked like this and now that doesn't exist anymore okay but you are still going to be doing these things over here and if we focus on those foundational skills whether you're an adult or the next generation that's actually what's going to be going back to the theme of the show future proof. That's actually what's going to future proof you. That is how you say future proofed.
1: And as an adult reskilling. Yeah. Um, automation is not necessarily eliminating jobs, it's repurposing jobs. So for instance, don't be fooled by McDonald's that has the automated system at first, if you get, in trouble, then, then, then the real person listens to the speakerphone that they're training that they're training that model to where they're going to eliminate the adults yep. and, and they're going to eliminate the people at the window, but who, who, are, and you know, that's why they have you do your app, you're going to be able to order the app. I don't know. Patty's going to flip it, put it on a bun and serve it to you. But, but, but who programs that technology, who repairs that technology? Right. Who, you know, I mean, who keeps it clean? Like, is repurposing jobs, reskilling, is repurposing jobs and reskilling yourself. And you have to be okay with reskilling. The problem is, is falling behind and not wanting to change. Like, that's going to be, you know, your Achilles heel. That's going to be your
0: Achilles heel. That will be your Achilles heel. And what's, so what's, here's what's also interesting. I had a conversation, I think it was a couple months ago with someone, and we were talking about this and what's also really interesting as you study human behavior is there's this store that is recognizing that some customers really love going to the store because that is their social interaction that is the way they interact and they love it and so this whole like automated checkout was a store that did this whole experiment on this and they found they were actually losing customers when they only had automated checkouts because some people came to that store because they loved this and what they actually did. And this was a fascinating experiment that they did was they actually created a career path for checkout people. There was the person that was responsible for making sure that the automated checkout was there. Cause we've all done that. You scan the thing wrong. And you're like, Oh, but that person was trained in how to de-escalate. And they focused on how to really create a, in a compelling customer experience because that person's goal is to get in and out as quickly as possible. And so that person's goal is your goal is to be trained on how do you as quickly as possible do this while demonstrate this. But then they also trained some of their checkout people. They were the master communicators and they actually had two lanes that were the long lanes and it was not about speed. It was about you were there to interact with the people in the line with you. You were there to interact with the checkout counter. And that was the lane you went to. And people would stand in these long lines for it, but it actually became a career pathway where they were actually to pay people more a livable wage. They needed less people, but they now paid these cashiers a livable wage. And it was something you aspired to. If you were an extrovert who loved to interact and was really good with your social skills, you wanted... The long lane, that was like what you strive for. And they saw their numbers grow. But again, it took the store going, let's just rethink this whole thing. And rather than just say, let's throw in a bunch of automated checkouts or no, we're never gonna have automated checkouts. Let's recognize people have a different experience when they come to our stores and how do we use technology to create the best experience possible? And I went, that is absolutely incredible. On some of the things that we can expect as we move into the future.
1: No, you're right. I mean, you're right. There's some arguments to that say that's that's kind of our generation, uh, and then there's the, the younger generation who they they just want automation. Um, but the reality of it is, from a psychology standpoint, is relationships are so important. Um, and and when you talk about happiness and satisfaction in life. They, they, it's always built around relationships. Like let's say my mother, for instance, um, she doesn't have, you know, she goes to water class or water aerobics and yeah. that's her circle. Uh, yeah. You know, it's doing something around that is doing something that everybody else is doing in a cohort, in a group. And it doesn't, she doesn't, you know, go out to eat with these ladies or yeah. this, that, and the other. But man, I mean, that is, that is, you know, relationship, same thing. She goes to one certain grocery store and they know her and she know them. Right. And and so that's why she goes. She can go anywhere. She kind of goes out of her way to go to this grocery store. And so, yeah, it's like you said, it's meeting the needs of of more than one and and diversifying your approach to saying, no, we're not going to be totally automated. Um, And and there are, there's still a large population, still a large audience that wants to connect. And we have, uh, you know, the other thing we still have to figure out how to connect, right? Yes, uh, because we see some of the the lack of social skills that that our our kids, you know, and stuff are having because yep. they believe that every friend, you know, on social media is their friend. <laughs> or yeah, even sometimes I get I get like that. I'm saying, did not I talk to you, and and uh, uh, my wife was like, no, we text. <laughs> like <laughs> I felt like it was a conversation. Like yeah. I, I heard yeah. you. You know, because you you just start to do that, um, yep. and uh, you start to replace it with uh, real live yeah. interaction and 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 those kind of things.
0: But understanding how that all fits together, and I think that's where um, I continue to be encouraged by you know I talk to lots of people from all over on things, and I look at it and go, there are so many problems in the world that we still have to solve. There is so much stuff that still needs to be accomplished, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to change and it's going to look very different. And I have really enjoyed this conversation about what that might look like, some of the challenges we face, some of the opportunities that lie ahead. And I think it's honestly, I think it's absolutely fantastic that you're taking the skills and gifts that you've built and been given over the years and using it to pay it forward to that next generation that is going to be the one that helps define some of this. And I think it's really critically important right now because as adults, sometimes it's so easy to get so focused on what's at the end of our nose and not think Mm -hmm. multi-generationally. And again, as a dad, it's something I'm keenly aware of as it's like the decisions I make about technology today are going to affect my kids and my grandkids and their kids. And that matters. So... Yeah. Phil I have so enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you making the time and I I absolutely love the work you're doing. So thank you for joining me on here.
1: Thank you. I, I appreciate the invitation. You're right. This was this was excellent, man. This was food for my soul.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for listening, watching wherever you're consuming this. Uh, I look forward to having you come back uh, and thank you again, Dr. Phil, and we will see you on the other side.